Section 11. Appendix Part 1 of the Inquiry into Human Faculty and its Developments by Francis Galton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Appendix A. Composite Portraiture. The object and methods of composite portraiture will be best explained by the following extracts from memoirs describing successive stages, published in 1878, 1879, and 1881, respectively. 1. Composite portraits made by combining those of many different persons into a single resultant figure. I submit to the Anthropological Institute my first results in carrying out a process that I suggested last April. 1877, in my presidential address to the anthropological subsection of the British Association at Plymouth, in the following words. Having obtained drawings or photographs of several persons alike in most respects, but differing in minor details, what sure method is there of extracting the typical characteristic from them? I may mention a plan which had occurred both to Mr. Herbert Spencer and myself, the principle of which is to superimpose optically, the various drawings, and to accept the aggregate's result. Mr. Spencer suggested to me, in conversation, that the drawings reduced to the same scale might be traced on separate pieces of transparent paper, and secured one upon another, and then held between the eye and the light. I have attempted this with some success. My own idea was to throw faint images of the several portraits in succession upon the same sensitized photographic plate. I may add that it is perfectly easy to superimpose optically two portraits by means of a stereoscope, and that a person who is used to handle instruments will find a common double eyeglass fitted with stereoscopic lenses to be almost as effectual and far handier than the boxes sold in shops. Mr. Spencer, as he informed me, had actually devised an instrument many years ago for tracing mechanically longitudinal transverse and horizontal sections of heads on transparent paper intending to superimpose them and to obtain an average result by transmitted light since my address was published i have caused trials to be made and have found as a matter of fact that the photographic process of which i there spoke enables us to maintain with mechanical precision a generalized picture one that represents no man in particular, but betrays an imaginary figure possessing the average features of any given group of men. These ideal faces have a surprising air of reality. Nobody who glanced at one of them for the first time would doubt its being the likeness of a living person. Yet, as I have said, there is no such thing. It is a portrait of a type and not of an individual. I begin by collecting photographs of the persons with whom I propose to deal. They must be similar in attitude and size, but no exactness is necessary in either of these respects. Then by simple contrivance, I make two pinholes in each of them, to enable me to hang them up in front of the other, like a pack of cards, upon the same pair of pins, in such a way that the eyes of all the portraits shall be as nearly as possible superimposed. In which case the remainder of the features will also be superimposed nearly enough. These pinholes correspond to what are technically known to printers as register marks. They are easily made. A slip of brass or card has an aperture cut out of its middle, 
and threads are stretched on opposite sides, making a cross. Two small holes are drilled in the plate, one on either side of the aperture. A slip of brass is laid on the portrait with the aperture over its face. It is turned about until one of the cross threads cuts the pupils of both eyes, and it is further adjusted until the other thread divides the interval between the pupils into equal parts. Then it is held firmly, and a prick is made through each of the holes. The portraits being thus arranged, a photographic camera is directed upon them. Suppose there are eight portraits in the pack, and that under existing circumstances it would require an exposure of 80 seconds to give an exact photographic copy of any one of them. The general principle of proceeding is this. Subject in practice, to some variations of detail, depending on the different brightness of the several portraits. We throw the image of each of the eight portraits in turn upon the same part of the sensitized plate for ten seconds. Thus, portrait number one is in the front of the pack. We take the cap off the object glass of the camera for ten seconds and afterwards replace it. We then remove number one from the pins. Number two appears in the front. We take off the cap a second time for ten seconds and again replace it. Next we remove number two and number three appears in the front, which we treat as its predecessors. And so we go on to the last of the pack. The sensitized plate we now have has its total exposure of 80 seconds, it is then developed, and the print taken from it is the generalized picture of which I speak. It is a composite of eight component portraits. Those of its outlines are sharpest and darkest that are common to the largest number of the components, and purely individual peculiarities leave little or no visible trace. The latter being necessarily deposed equally on both sides of the average, an outline of the composite is the average of all the components. It is a band, not a fine line, because the outlines of the components are seldom exactly superimposed. The band will be darkest in its middle whenever the component portraits have the same general type of features, and its breadth, or amount of blur, will measure the tendency of the components to deviate from the common type. This is so for the very same reason that the dot shot marks on a target are more thickly disposed in the bull's eye than away from it, and in a greater degree as the marksmen are more skilful. All that has been said of the outlines is equally true as regards the shadows, the result being that the composite represents an average figure whose lineaments have been softly drawn. The eyes come out with appropriate distinctness owing to the mechanical conditions under which the components are hung. A composite portrait represents the picture that would rise before the mind's eye of a man who had the gift of pictorial imagination in an exalted degree. But the imaginative power even of the highest artist is far from precise, and is so apt to be biased by special cases that may have stuck their fancies, that no two artists agree in any of their typical forms. The merit of the photographic composite is its mechanical position, being subject to no errors beyond those incidental to all photographic productions. I submit several composites made for me by Mr. H. Reynolds. The first set of portraits are those of criminals convicted of murder, manslaughter or robbery accompanied with violence. It will be observed that the features of the composites are much better looking than those of the components. The special villainous irregularities in the latter have disappeared and the common humanity that underlies them has prevailed. They represent not the criminal, but the man who is liable to fall into crime. All composites are better looking than their components, 
because the average portrait of many persons is free from irregularities that previously blemish the looks of each of them. I selected these for my first trials because I happened to possess a large collection of photographs of criminals through the kindness of Sir Edmund Duquesne, the Director General of Prisons, under the purpose of investigating criminal types. They were particularly adapted to my present purpose, being all made of about the same size, taken in much the same attitudes, as was endeavouring to elicit the principal criminal types by methods of optical superimposition of the portraits, such as I had frequently employed with maps and meteorological traces, that the idea of composite figures first occurred to me. The other set of composites are made from pairs of components. They are selected to show the extraordinary facility of combining almost two faces whose proportions are in any way similar. I will, I am sure, surprise most persons to see how well defined these composites are. When we deal with faces of the same type, the points of similarity far outnumber those of dissimilarity. There is a much greater resemblance between faces generally than we will turn our attention to individual differences are apt to appreciate. A traveller on his first arrival among people of a race very different to his own thinks them closely alike, and a Hindu has much difficulty in distinguishing one Englishman from another. The fairness with which photographic composites represent their components is shown by six of the specimens. I wish to learn whether the order in which the components were photographed made any material difference in the result. So I had three of the portraits arranged successively in each of their six possible combinations. It will be observed that four, at least, of the six composites are closely alike. I should say that in each of this set, which was made by the wet process, the last of three components was always allowed a longer exposure. Then the second and the second and the first, but it is found better to allow an equal time to all of them. There is a picture located in the middle of the page with accompanying text. The accompanying woodcut is a fair representation of one of the composites as is practical in ordinary printing. It was photographically transferred to the wood and the engraver has used his best endeavour to translate the shades into line engraving. This composite is made out of only three components, but its threefold origin is to be traced in the ears and in the buttons to the vest. To the best of my judgment, the original photograph is a very exact average of its components. Not one feature in it appears identical with that of any one of them, but it contains a resemblance to all, and is not more like to one of them than to another. However, the judgment of the wood engraver is different. His rendering of the composite has made it exactly like one of its components which it must be borne in mind he had never seen. It is just as though an artist drawing a child had produced a portrait closely resembling his deceased father, having overlooked an equally strong likeness to his deceased mother, which was apparent to its relatives. This is to me most striking proof that the composite is a true combination. The stereoscope, as I stated last August in my address at Plymouth, affords a very easy method of optically superimposing two portraits and I have much pleasure in quoting the following letter, pointing out this fact as well as some other conclusions to which I also had arrived. The letter was kindly forwarded to me by Mr. Darwin. It is dated last November, and was written to him by Mr. A. L. Austin from New Zealand. 
thus affording another of the many curious instances of two persons being independently engaged in the same novel inquiry at nearly the same time and coming to similar results Invercargill, new zealand november sixth eighteen seventy seven to charles darwin esq sir although a perfect stranger to you and living on the reverse side of the globe i have taken the liberty of writing to you on a small discovery i have made in binocular vision in the stereoscope i find by taking two ordinary carte de visite photos of two different persons faces the portraits being about the same size and looking about the same direction and placing them in a stereoscope the faces blended to one in a most remarkable manner producing in the case of some ladies portraits in every instance a decided improvement in beauty the pictures were not taken in a binocular camera and therefore do not stand out well but by moving one or both until the eyes coincide in the stereoscope the pictures blend perfectly if taken in a binocular camera for the purpose each person being taken on one half of the negative i am sure the results would be more striking perhaps something might be made of this in regard to the expression of emotions in man and the lower animals etc i have not time or opportunities to make experiments but it seems to me something might be made of this by photographing the faces of different animals producing races of mankind etc i think a stereoscopic view of one of the ape tribe and some low-caste human face would make a very curious mixture also in the matter of crossing of animals and the resulting offspring it seems to me something also might result in photos of husband and wife and children etc in any case the results are curious if it leads to nothing else should this come to anything you will no doubt acknowledge myself as suggesting the experiment and perhaps send me some of the results if not likely to come to anything a reply would much oblige me it was very truly a l austin c e f r a s dr carpenter informs me that the late mr repold the mechanician used to combine two portraits of himself under the stereoscope the one had been taken with an assumed stern expression the other with a smile and this combination produced a curious and effective blending of the two convenient as a stereoscope is owing to its accessibility for determining whether any two portraits are suitable in size and attitude to form a good composite it is nevertheless a makeshift and imperfect way of attaining the required result it cannot of itself combine two images it can only place them so that the office of attempting to combine them may be undertaken by the brain now the two separate impressions received by the brain through the stereoscope do not seem to me to be relatively constant in their vividness but sometimes the image seen by the left eye prevails over that seen by the right and vice versa all the other instruments i am about to describe accomplish that which the stereoscope fails to do they create true optical combinations as regards other points in mr austin's letters i cannot think that the use of a binocular camera for making the two portraits intended to be combined into one by the stereoscope would be of importance all that is wanted is that the portraits should be nearly of the same size in every other respect i cordially agree with mr austin the best instrument i have as yet contrived and used for optical superimposition is a double image prism of iceland spar see figure page two hundred twenty eight formerly procured for me by the late mr tisley optician brompton road they have a clear aperture of a square half an inch on the side and when held at right angles to the line of sight will separate the ordinary and extraordinary images to the amount of two inches when the object viewed is held at seventeen inches from the eye this is quite sufficient for working with carte de visite portraits one image is quite achromatic the other shows little colour 
the divergence may be varied and adjusted by inclining the prism to the line of sight by its means the ordinary image of one component is thrown upon the extraordinary image of the other and the composite may be viewed by the naked eye or through a lens of long focus or through an opera glass a telescope is not so good fitted with a sufficiently long draw tube to see an object at that short distance with distinctness portraits of somewhat different sizes may be combined by placing the larger one farther from the eye and a long face may be fitted to a short one by inclining and forward shortening the former the slight fault of focus thereby occasion produces little or no sensible ill effect on the appearance of the composite the front or the profile faces of two living persons sitting side by side or one behind the other can be easily superimposed by a double image prism two such prisms set one behind the other can be made to give four images of equal brightness occupying the four corners of a rhombus whose acute angles are 450. three prisms will give eight images but this is practically not a good combination the images fail in distinctness and are too near together for use again each lens of a stereoscope of long focus can have one or a pair of these prisms attached to it and four or eight images may be thus combined another instrument i have made consists of a piece of glass inclined at a very acute angle to the line of sight and of a mirror beyond it also inclined but in the opposite direction to the line of sight figure one is displayed on the previous page figure one shows the simple apparatus which carries a prism on which the photograph is mounted the former is set in a round box which can be rotated in the ring at the end of the arm and can be clamped when adjusted the arm can be rotated and can also be pulled out or in if desired and clamped the floor of the instrument is overlaid with cork covered with black cloth on which the components can easily be fixed by drawing pins when using it one portrait is pinned down and the other is moved near it overlapping its margin if necessary until the eye looking through the prism sees the required combination then the second portrait is pinned down also it may now receive its register marks from needles fixed in a hinged arm and this is a more generally applicable method than the plan with cross threads already described as an intersite feature the nose the ear or the hand may thus be selected for composite purposes let a b c y z be the components a is pinned down and b c y z are successfully combined with a and registered then before removing z take away a and substitute any other of the already registered portraits say a by combining it with z lastly remove z and substitute a by combining it with a and register it figure two shows one of three similarly jointed arms which clamp on to the vertical rod two of these carry a light frame covered with cork and cloth and the other carries figure three which is a frame having lenses of different powers set into it and on which or on the third frame a small mirror inclined at 450 may be laid when a portrait requires foreshortening it can be pinned on one of these frames and be inclined to the line of sight when it is smaller than its fellow it can be brought nearer to the eye and an appropriate lens interposed when a right-sided profile has to be combined with a left-handed one it must be pinned on one of the frames and viewed by reflection from the mirror in the other the apparatus i have drawn is roughly made and being chiefly of wood is rather clumsy but it acts well two rays of light will therefore reach the eye from each point of the glass the one has been reflected from its surface and the other has been first reflected from the mirror and then transmitted through the glass the glass used should be extremely thin to avoid the blur due to double reflections 
it may be a selected piece from those made to cover microscopic specimens the principle of the instrument may be yet further developed by interposing additional pieces of glass successively less inclined to the line of sight and each reflecting a different portrait i have tried many other plans indeed the possible methods of optically superimposing two or more images are very numerous thus i have used a sextant with its telescope attached also strips of mirrors placed at different angles their several reflections being simultaneously viewed through a telescope i have also used a divided lens like two stereoscopic lenses brought close together in front of the object glass of a telescope two generic images extract from proceedings royal institution twenty fifth of april eighteen seventy nine our general impressions are founded upon blended memories and these latter will be the chief topic of the present discourse an analogy will be ported out between these and the blended portraits first described by myself a year ago under the name of composite portraits and specimens of the latter will be exhibited the physiological basis of memory is simple enough in its broad outlines whenever any group of brain elements has been excited by a sense impression it becomes so to speak tender and liable to be easily thrown again into a similar state of excitement if the new cause of excitement differs from the original one a memory is the result whenever a single cause throws different groups of brain elements simultaneously into excitement the result must be a blended memory we are familiar with the fact that faint memories are very apt to become confused thus some picture of mountain and lake in a country which we have never visited often recalls a vague sense of identity with much we have seen elsewhere our recollections cannot be disentangled though general resemblances are recognized it is also a fact that the memories of persons who have great powers of visualizing that is of seeing well-defined images in the mind's eye are no less capable of being blended together artists are as a class possessed of the visualizing power in a high degree and they are at the same time pre-eminently distinguished by their gifts of generalization they are of all men the most capable of producing forms that are not copies of any individual but represent the characteristic features of classes there is then no doubt from whatever side the subject of memory is approached whether from the material or from the mental and in the latter case whether we examine the experiences of those in whom the visualizing faculty is faint or in whom it is strong that the brain has the capacity of blending memories together neither can there be any doubt the general impressions are faint and perhaps faulty additions of blended memories they are subject to errors of their own and they inherit all those to which the memories are themselves liable specimens of blended portraits will now be exhibited these might with more propriety be named according to the happy phrase professor huxley generic portraits the word generic presupposes a genius that is to say a collection of individuals who have much in common and among whose medium characteristics are very much more frequent than extreme ones the same idea is sometimes expressed by the word typical which was much used by quetelet who was the first to give it a rigorous interpretation and whose idea of a type lies at the basis of his statistical views no statistician dreams of combining objects into the same generic group than do not cluster towards a common centre no more should we attempt to compose generic portraits out of heterogenic elements for if we do so the result is monstrous and meaningless it might be expected that when many different portraits are fused into a single one the result would be a mere smudge 
Such, however, is by no means the case. Under the conditions just laid down, of a great prevalence of the mediocre characteristics of the extreme ones, there are then so many traits in common, to combine and to reinforce one another, that they prevail to the exclusion of the rest. All that is common remains. All that is individual tends to disappear. The first of the composites exhibited on this occasion is made by conveying the images of three separate portraits by means of three separate magic lanterns upon the same scene. The stands on which the lanterns are mounted have been arranged to allow of nice adjustment. The composite about to be shown is one that strains the powers of the process somewhat too severely, the portraits combined being those of two brothers and their sister, who have not even been photographed in precisely the same attitudes. Nevertheless, the result is seen to be the production of a face, neither male nor female, but more regular and handsome than any other component portraits, and in which the common family traits are clearly marked. Ghosts of portraits of male and female attire, due to their peculiarities of the separate portraits, are seen about and around the composite, but they are not sufficiently vivid to distract the attention. If the number of combined portraits had been large, these ghostly accessories would have become too faint to be visible. The next step is to combine this portrait of two brothers and their sister, which has been composed by optical means before the eyes of the audience, and concerning the truthfulness of which there can be no doubt with a photographic composite of the same group. The latter is now placed in a fourth magic lantern, with a brighter light behind it, and its image is thrown on the screen by the side of the composite produced by direct optical superposition. It will be observed that the two processes lead to almost exactly the same result, and therefore the fairness of the photographic process may be taken for granted. However, two other comparisons will be made for the sake of verification, namely between the optical and photographic composites of two children, and again between those of two Roman contadini. The composite portraits that will next be exhibited are made by the photographic process, and it will now be understood that they are truly composite, notwithstanding their definition and apparent individuality. Attention is, however, first directed to a convenient instrument, not more than 18 inches in length, which is, in fact, a photographic camera with six converging lenses and an attached screen, on which six pictures can be adjusted and brilliantly illuminated by artificial light. The effect of their optical combination can thus be easily studied. Any errors of adjustment can be rectified and the composite may be photographed at once. It must not be supposed that any one of the components fails to leave its due trace in the photographic composite, much less in the optical one. It ought to allay misgivings on the subject. A small apparatus is laid on the table together with some of the results obtained by it. It is a cardboard frame with a spring shutter closing an aperture of the size of a wafer that springs open on the pressure of a finger and shuts again as suddenly when the pressure is withdrawn. A chronograph is held in the other hand, whose index begins to travel at the moment the finger presses a spring and stops instantly on lifting the finger. The two instruments are worked simultaneously, the chronograph checking the time allowed for each exposure and summing all the others. It appears from several trials that the effect of 1,000 brief exposures is practically identical to that of a single exposure of 1,000 times the duration of any one of them. Therefore, each of a thousand components leaves its due photographic trace on the composite, though it is far too faint to be visible unless reinforced by many similar traces. The composites now to be exhibited are made from coins or metals, and in most instances the aim has been to obtain the best likeness obtainable of historical personages. 
by combining various portraits of them taken at different periods of their lives, and so to elicit the traits that are common to each series. A few of the individual portraits are placed in the same slide with each composite to give a better idea of the character of these blended representatives. Those that are shown are 1. Alexander the Great, from 6 components. 2. Antiochus, King of Syria, from 6. 3. Demetrius Poliocrates, from 6. 4. Cleopatra, from 5. Here the composite is, as usual, better looking than any of the components, none of which, however, give any indication of her reputed beauty. In fact, her features are not only plain, but to an ordinary English taste are simply hideous. 5. Nero, from 11. 6. A combination of five different Greek female faces, and 7. A singularly beautiful combination of the faces of six different Roman ladies, forming a charming ideal profile. My cordial acknowledgement is due to Mr. R. Stuart Poole, the learned curator of the coins and gems of the British Museum, for his kind selection of the most suitable medals, and for procuring casts of them for me for the present purpose. These casts were, with one exception, all photographed to a uniform size of four-tenths of an inch between the pupils of the eyes and the division between the lips, which experience shows to be the most convenient size on the whole to work with, regard being paid to many considerations not worth while to specify in detail. When it was necessary, the photograph was reversed. These photographs were made by Mr. H. Reynolds. I then adjusted and prepared them for taking the photographic composite. The next series to be exhibited consists of composites taken from the portraits of criminals convicted of murder, manslaughter, or crimes accompanied by violence. There is much interest in the fact that two types of features are found much more frequently among these than among the population at large. In one, the features are broad and massive, like those of Henry VIII, but with a much smaller brain. The other, of which five composites are exhibited, each deduced from a number of different individuals, varying four to nine, is a face that is weak and certainly not a common English face. Three of these composites, though taken from entirely different sets of individuals, are as alike as brothers, and is found on optically combining any three out of the five composites, that is, on combining almost any considerable number of the individuals, the result is closely the same. The combination of the three closely alluded to will now be effected by means of the three converging magic lanterns, and the result may be accepted a generic in respect of this particular type of criminals. The process of composite portraiture is one of pictorial statistics. It is a familiar fact that the average height of even a dozen men of the same race, taken at hazard, varies so little that for ordinary statistical purposes it may be considered constant. The same may be said of the measurement of every separate feature in limb and of every tint, whether of skin, hair, or eyes. Consequently, a pictorial combination of any one of these separate traits would lead to results no less constant than the statistical averages. In a portrait, there is another factor to be considered besides the measurement of the separate traits, namely their relative position. But this too, in a sufficiently large group, would necessarily have a statistical constancy. As a matter of observation, the resemblance between persons of the same genus, in the same sense of generic as already explained, is sufficiently great to admit of making good pictorial composites out of even small groups, as has been abundantly shown. Composite pictures are, however, much more than averages. They are rather the equivalents of those large statistical tables whose totals, divided by the number of cases, and entered in the bottom line are the averages. They are real generalizations because they include the whole of the material under consideration. The blur of their outlines, which is never 
great in truly genetic composites except in unimportant details measures the tendency of individuals to deviate from the central type my argument is that the generic images that arise before the mind's eye and the general impressions which are faint and faulty editions of them are the analogues of these composite pictures which we have the advantage of examining at leisure and whose peculiarities and character we can investigate and from which we may draw conclusions that shall show much light on the nature of certain mental processes which are too mobile and evanescent to be directly dealt with three composite portraiture read before the photographic society twenty fourth of june eighteen eighty one I propose to draw attention tonight to the results of recent experiments and considerable improvements in a process of which I published the principles three years ago, and which I have subsequently exhibited more than once. I have shown that, if we have the portraits of two or more different persons, taken in the same aspect and under the same conditions of light and shade, and that if we put them into different optical lanterns, converging on the same screen, and carefully adjust them, first so as to bring them to the same scale, and secondly, so as to superimpose them as accurately as conditions admit, then the different faces will blend surprisingly well into a single countenance. If they are not very dissimilar, the blended result will always have a curious air of individuality and will be unexpectedly well defined. It will exactly resemble none of its components, but it will have a sort of family likeness to all of them, and it will be an ideal and an average portrait. I have also shown that the image on the screen might be photographed then and there, or that the same result may be much more easily obtained by a method of successive photography, and I have exhibited many specimens made on this principle. Photolithographs of some of those will be found in the proceedings of the Royal Institution as illustrations of a lecture I gave there on generic images in 1879. The method I now use is much better than those previously described. It leads to more accurate results and is easier to manage. I will exhibit and explain the apparatus as it stands, and will indicate some improvements as I go on. The apparatus is here. I use it by gaslight, and employ rapid dry plates, which, however, under the conditions of a particularly small aperture and the character of the light, require sixty seconds of total exposure. The apparatus is four feet long and six and a half inches broad. It lies with its side along the edge of the table at which I sit, and it is sloped towards me, so that by bending my neck slightly, I can bring my eye to the eye-hole, where I watch the effect of the adjustments which my hands are free to make. The entire management of the whole of this is within an easy arm's length, and I complete the process without shifting my seat. The apparatus consists of three parts, A, B, and C. A is rigidly fixed. It contains the dark side of the contrivances by which the position of the image can be viewed. The eye-hole, already mentioned, being part of A, B is a travelling carriage that holds the lens and is connected by bellows work with A. In my apparatus is pushed out and in and clamped where desired, but it ought to be moved altogether by pinion and rack work. The lens I use is a IB Downmayer. Its focal length is appropriate to the size of the instrument, and I find great convenience in a lens of wide aperture when making the adjustments, as I then require plenty of light. But as to the photography, the smaller the aperture, the better. The hole in my stop is only two-tenths of an inch in diameter, and I believe one-tenth will be more suitable. C is a travelling carriage that supports the portraits in turn, from which the composite has to be made. I work directly from the original negatives with transmitted light, but prints can be used with light falling on their face. 
and the image is displayed on the previous page with the side view and end view of the apparatus for convenience of description i will confine myself to the first instance only and will therefore speak of c as the carriage that supports the frame that holds the negative transparencies c can be pushed along the board and be clamped anywhere and it has a rack and pinion adjustment but it should have been made movable by rack and pinion along the whole length of the board the frame for the transparencies has the same movement of adjustment as those in the stage of a microscope it rotates round a hollow axis through which a beam of light is thrown and independent movements in the plane at right angles to the axis can be given to it in two directions at right angles to one another by turning two separate screws the beam of light is furnished by three gas burners and it passes through a condenser the gas is supplied through a flexible tube that does not interfere with the movements of c and is governed by a stopcock in front of the operator the apparatus so far as it has been described with any detail and ignoring what was said about an eye hole is little else than a modified copying camera by which an image of the transparency could be thrown on the ordinary focusing screen and be altered in scale and position until it was adjusted to fiducial lines drawn on the screen it is conceivable that this should be done and that the screen should be replaced by the dark side and a brief exposure given to the plate then at a fresh transparency should be inserted a fresh focus adjustment made and a second exposure given and so on this i say is conceivable but it would be very inconvenient the adjusting screws would be out of reach the head of the operator would be in an awkward position and though these two difficulties might be overcome in some degree a serious risk of an occasional shift of the plate during the frequent replacement of the dark slide would remain i avoid all this by making my adjustments while the plate continues in position with its front open i do so through the help of a reflector temporarily interposed between it and the lens i do not use the ordinary focusing screen at all in making my adjustments but one that is flush or nearly so with the roof of the camera when the reflector is interposed the image is wholly cut off from the sensitized plate and is thrown upwards against this focusing screen g when the reflector is drawn the image falls on the plate it is upon this focusing screen in the roof that i see the fiducial lines by which i make all the adjustments nothing can be more convenient than the position of this focusing screen for working purposes i look down on the image as i do upon a book resting on a sleeping desk and all the parts of the apparatus are within an easy arm's length my reflector in my present instrument is i am a little ashamed to confess nothing better than a piece of looking-glass fixed to an axle within the camera near its top left-hand edge on the end of the axle protrudes and has a short arm when i push the arm back the mirror is raised when i push it forward it drops down i used a swing glass because the swing action is very true and as my apparatus was merely a provisional working model made of soft wood i did not like to use sliding arrangements which might not have acted truly or i should certainly have employed a slide with a rectangular glass prism on account of the perfect reflection it affords and let me say that a prism of two inches square in the side is quite large enough for adjustment purposes for it is only the face of the portrait that is wanted to be seen i chose my looking-glass carefully and selected a piece that was plain and parallel it has not too high a polish and therefore does not give troublesome double reflections in fact it answers very respectably especially when we consider the perfection of definition is thrown away on composites i thought of a mirror silvered on the front of the glass but this would soon tarnish in the gaslight so i did not try it for safety against the emission of light unintentionally i have kept the focusing screen of the roof and a slide in the fixed body of the instrument immediately behind the reflector and before the dark slide
Neither of these we wanted if the reflector was replaced by a prism, set into one end of a sliding block that had a large horizontal hole at the other end, and a sufficient length of solid wood between the two to block out the passage of light, both upwards and downwards, whenever the block is passing through the halfway position. As regards the fiducial lines, they might be drawn on the glass screen, but black lines are not, I find, the best. It is far easier to work with illuminated lines, and it is important to be able to control their brightness. I produce these lines by means of a vertical transparency, set in an adjustable frame connected with A, and having a gas light behind it. Below the eye hole, E, through which I view the glass screen, G, is a thin piece of glass set at an angle of 450, which reflects the fiducial lines and gives them the appearance of lying on the screen. The frame being so adjusted that the distance from the thin piece of glass to the transparency and to the glass screen, G, is the same. I thus obtain beautiful fiducial lines, which I can vary from extreme faintness to extreme brilliancy, by turning the gas lower or higher, according to the brightness of the image of the portrait, which itself depends on the density of the transparency that I am engaged upon. This arrangement seems as good as can be. It affords a gauge of the density of the negative and enables me to regulate the burners behind it until the image of the portrait on G is adjusted to a standard degree of brightness. For convenience in enlarging or reducing, I take care that the intersection of the vertical fiducial line with that which passes through the pupils of the eyes shall correspond to the optical axis of the camera. Then, as I enlarge or reduce, that point in the image remains fixed. The uppermost horizontal fiducial line continues to intersect the pupils, and the vertical one continues to divide the face symmetrically. The mouth has alone to be watched. When the mouth is adjusted to the lower fiducial line, the scale is exact. It is a great help having to attend no more than one varying element. The only inconvenience is that the image does not lie in the best position on the plate when the point between the eyes occupies its centre. This is easily remedied by using a larger back with a suitable inner frame. I have a more elaborate contrivance in my apparatus to produce the same result, which I need not stop to explain. For success and speed in making composites, the apparatus should be solidly made, chiefly of metal, and all the adjustments ought to work smoothly and accurately. Good composites cannot be made without very careful adjustment in scale and position. An off-hand way of working produces nothing but failures. I will first exhibit a very simple but instructive composite effect. I draw on a square card a circle about two and a half inches in diameter and two cross lines for its centre, cutting one another at right angles. Round each of the four points, nine hundred apart, where the cross cuts a circle, I drew small circles of the size of wafers and gummed upon each a disc of different tint. Finally, I made a single black dot halfway between two of the arms of the cross. I then made a composite of the four positions of the card as it was placed successfully with each of its sides downwards. The result is a photograph having a sharply defined cross surrounded by four discs of precisely uniform tint, and between each pair of arms of the cross there is a very faint dot. This photograph shows many things. The fact of its being a composite is shown by the four faint dots. The equality of the successive periods of exposure is shown by the equal tint of the four dots. The accuracy of the adjustment is shown by the sharpness of the cross being as great in the composite as in the original card. We see the smallest of the effect produced by any trait such as the dot when it appears in the same place in only one of the composites. If this effect be so small in a series of only four components, it would certainly be imperceptible in a much larger series. Thirdly, the uniformity of resulting tint in the composite wafer is quite irrespective of the order of exposure. Let us call the four components wafers, A, B, C, D, respectively, 
and the four composite waivers one two three four then we will see by the diagram that the order of exposure has differed in each case yet the result is identical therefore the order of exposure has no effect on the results a table is displayed on the page with composite and successive places of components i will next show a series consisting of two portraits considerably unlike to one another and yet not so very discordant as to refuse to conform and of two intermediate composites in making one of the composites i gave two-thirds of the total time of exposure to the first portrait and one-third to the second portrait in making the other composite i did the converse it will be seen how good is the result in both cases and how the likeness of the longest exposed portrait always predominates the next in a series of four composites the first consists of fifty-seven hospital patients suffering under one or other of the many forms of consumption i may say that with the aid of dr mahomed i am endeavouring to utilise this process to elicit the physiognomy of disease the composite i now show is what i call a hodgepodge composite its use is to form a standard whence deviations towards any particular subtype may be conveniently gauged it will be observed that the face is strongly marked and that it is quite idealized i claim for composite portraiture that it affords a method of obtaining pictorial averages which effects simultaneously for every point in a picture what a method of numerical averages would do for each point in the picture separately it gives in short the average tint of each unit of area in the picture measured from judicial lines as coordinates now every statistic knows by experience that numerical averages usually begin to agree pretty fairly when we deal with even twenty or thirty cases therefore we should expect to find that any groups of twenty or thirty men of the same class would yield composites bearing a considerable likeness to one another in proof of this is the case i exhibit three other composites the one is marked from the first twenty-eight portraits of the fifty-seven the second from the last twenty-seven and the third is made on thirty-six portraits taken indiscriminately out of all the fifty-seven it will be observed that all the four composites are closely alike i will now show a few typical portraits i selected out of eighty-two male portraits of a different series of consumptive male patients there were those that had more or less of a particular one look than i wished to elicit the selected cases were about eighteen in number and from these i took twelve rejecting about six as having some marked peculiarity that did not conform well with the remaining twelve the result is a very striking face though the ideal and artistic and singularly beautiful it is indeed most notable how beautiful all composites are individual peculiarities all irregularities and the composite is always regular i show a composite of fifteen female faces also of consumptive patients they give somewhat the same aspect of the disease also two others of only six in each and have in consequence less of an ideal look but which are still typical i have here several other typical faces in my collection of composites they are all serviceable as illustrations of this memoir but medically speaking they are only provisional results i am indebted to lieutenant leonard darwin r e for an interesting series of negatives of officers and privates of the royal engineers here is a composite of twelve officers here is one of thirty privates i then thought it better to select from the latter the men that came from the southern countries and to again make a further selection of one from these on the principle already explained here is the result it is very interesting to note the stamp of culture and refinement on the composite officer and the honest and vigorous but more homely features of the privates the combination of these two officers and privates together gives a very effective physiognomy let it be borne in mind that existing cartes de visite 
are almost certain to be useless among dozens of them it is hard to find three that fulfil the conditions of similarity of aspect or of shade the negatives have to be made on purpose i use a repeating back and a quarter plate and get two good-sized heads on each plate and of a scale that never gives less than four-tenths of an inch between the pupils of the eyes and the mouth it is only the head that can be used as more distant parts even the ears become blurred hopelessly it will be asked of what use can all this be to ordinary photographers even granting that it may be of scientific value in ethnological research in inquiries into the physiognomy of disease and for other special purposes i think it can be turned to most interesting account in the production of family likenesses the most unartistic productions of amateur photography do quite as well for making composites as those of the best professional workers because their blemishes vanish in the blended result all that amateurs have to do is to take negatives of the various members of their families in precisely the same aspect one recommend either perfect full face or perfect profile and under precisely the same conditions of light and shade and to send them to a firm provided with proper instrumental appliances to make composites from them the result is sure to be artistic in expression and flatteringly handsome and would be very interesting to the members of the family young amid old and persons of both sexes can be combined into one ideal face i can well imagine a fashion setting in to have these pictures professional skill might be exercised very effectively in retouching composites it would be easy to obliterate the ghosts of stray features that are always present when the composites are made from only a few portraits and it would not be difficult to tone down any regularity in the features themselves due to some unobstructed peculiarity in one of the components a higher order of artistic skill might be well bestowed upon the composites that have been made out of a large number of components here the irregularities disappear the features are perfectly regular and idealized but the result is dim it is like a pencil drawing where many attempts have been made to obtain the desired effect such a drawing is smudged and ineffective but the artist under his guidance draws his final work with clear bold touches and then he rubs out the smudge on precisely the same principle the faint but beautifully idealized features of the composites are i believe capable of forming the basis of a very high order of artistic work end of appendix part one and end of section eleven